have it too. It's never because you want to lose something like someone else has and you want to go down to that. It's always because we feel like we're missing out. That's not fair. I'm, I'm missing out. I was reading recently someone saying that this current generation is, is sometimes referred to as the, the FOMO generation, the fear of missing out generation. But I don't think it's a generational thing. I think it's a, a, a society, cultural-wide thing that we have this, this deeply ingrained fear of missing out, that we, we want everything to be fair, we want everything to be just, we want to be able to have everything that everyone else has. And we can so easily get caught into a trap of thinking that this life is about us. That this existence, that this world is about us. That, that everything within God's kingdom is about us succeeding and growing and prospering and bearing fruit. That it all revolves around us. And there's a bit of a danger to that. And when we, when we get caught in that trap, we, we miss out on so much of what God's kingdom really is about And that's quite important to hold in our minds because in the story we're about to read that Jesus tells, he's responding to that sort of sentiment from Peter. And the bit that you should have looked at last week, I think, in Matthew 19, Jesus is meeting with this rich young man. And through the course of that conversation, he tells him that he's got to sell everything and give away to the poor if he wants to be able to be a part of God's kingdom. And obviously that rich young man's got a bit of a struggle with that. But then Peter pipes and he's like, well, we've given everything away for you, Lord. Can't you see? Look at how much we've given. What then will there be for us? Where's, where's our reward? Can't you see what we've given up, Jesus? You can sense the sort of youthful arrogance. Well, we tick that box, Jesus. We've, we've done that. We've given it all away. Where's our blessing? Where's our inheritance? Where's the kingdom for us then? And it's in response to that sentiment from Peter, that kind of, self-centrical view of, of everything revolving around, well, I've done it, so where's, where's mine sort of response? Jesus tells this story. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Sometimes up on the screen. Matthew 20, verse 1. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So in those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? 
So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So in response to Peter's, haven't you seen what I've done? Where's mine? We've given everything. We've made those sacrifices. We ticks the box. What, what then will there be for us sort of response? Jesus tells this story of a, a vineyard owner who goes out into the marketplace first thing in the morning, hires a few people. Goes back a few hours later and does it again. A few hours later and does it again. A few hours later and does it again because there's still more work to be done. And eventually he goes out and there's only an hour left in the working day. And yet he still hires some more. Agreeing the, originally with those first to pay them a denarius, which was just a day's wage. A bit like what the pound used to be. Just a, just a simple day's wage. Then he calls them back all in and starting with those who'd only worked an hour. He pays them a whole day's wage. And then working back, he gets to the ones who had been, been there all day, working all day, and pays them the same. At the heart of this, Jesus has got quite a strong warning for his disciples. And I think it's really relevant for us today. And, and got a little ways that we're going to go from this point. But at the heart of what Jesus is doing here, he's got this very deep warning to his disciples. And I think it's this. You may well be God's favored few, but there are others who will be favored too. You see, the disciples already were getting caught in this set that, you know, here we are. We've we've worked the heat of the day. We've borne the burden of the day. We've, We've been with you for hours. We've already given up everything. And Jesus knows the time is coming as his church grows and erupts and come into place that there will be people in equal pegging with these disciples who've just shown up, a little bit like Paul, I guess, in a way, who, who hadn't been there all this time, who hadn't gone through all this journey, and yet here they're favored too. And, and Jesus is trying to, to get into these disciples that, yes, you are God's favored few, but you won't be the only ones. There will be more. Because you know what? There's a whole vineyard that needs harvesting, and there's a whole lot more workers that need to come. And I think we get caught in that trap of thinking that life is about us, thinking that it revolves around us. I know that we've certainly been wrestling with that these last couple of months, particularly with our church. Um, for those of you who know a bit of our story, you know that church life is quite hard for us. I don't actually get to, to stand up and do things like this all that often. Um, the vast majority of my time is spent doing one-to-one discipleship work, particularly with people who are suicidal and, and on the edge of life, standing in between them and death, helping them make sense of Jesus and God and life when it's hard and dark. Uh, Claire and I are leading the church all on our own, so there's not others to you know, gather around and pray with and cry out for our community and our estate or, or share and carry the burden. These last couple of months, we've also had the uncertainty of, of potentially not being able to use our building anymore. We're not quite sure if those that own it are, are going to allow us to continue. And, and in the midst of all of that, I have to admit that there have been a whole bunch of mornings in my quiet time with God where I'm going, God, haven't you seen what we've done? Haven't you seen what we've given? Haven't you, haven't you seen what it's cost our family and, and cost us these, these 11 years that we've committed to your people and your kingdom and your church? God, what then will there be for us? Where's the fruit? Where's the blessing? Where's the reward? And it can be so easy to get caught in this view of life where we think God's kingdom depends on our success. And us being the single best workers that we can be when in fact it's actually more true that for God's harvest to come in, he needs more workers, not necessarily bigger ones. 
I felt this on a personal level over this last year. Uh, about a year ago, um, I, I felt a bit, of a, a bit of a push from God to, to grow in some prophetic gifting that, um, that I had a number of people speak over me and that, that I believed I had. And it was a bit scary. It even just sounds weird saying it out loud because prophecy is something we don't really talk about all that much, depending on what circles you're a part of. But anyway, I really felt that God was behind it, and so I started to spend time praying about it. I started to spend time with people who I could see also had the gift to learn from them and listen to them and and share with them. I started to read some books about it. Probably most importantly, I put myself in a risky position and invited a good friend and said, hey, can we meet up every month or two just for me to prophesy over you? And I want to put that accountability and burden on me that that's why we're meeting not just to have a good time but to do this and i got to see some incredible things and god spoke through those times and said some things to my friend that actually ended up being really life transformational for him but in the midst of all this and in the midst of this pursuing and desiring and and trying to grow in this way we went along to a couple of conferences claire and i and it it seemed like we every time we'd walk into these rooms full of people and we'd go and we'd sit down on a, on a row with people and Claire being much more a natural people person than I and would immediately start talking and having conversation. And next thing I know, they're praying together or Claire's got a word or a picture or something to encourage them. And I'm in the midst of this, I'm going, God, I'm the one praying for this. I'm the one asking that you'd grow me in this way. And there's a part of me going, well, you know, we're one. And so that's nice because my wife's growing in it. And, and so it kind of makes sense. It kind of works. But there was another part of me going, but God, I've, I'm the one that's been praying for this. Where's, where's mine? And in the midst of that, I really felt God just challenge me and say, Matt, I need more than you. The harvest is bigger then you, I need more workers, not necessarily just greater ones. And I think we can get caught in this trap so quickly where we think that this all just involves around us and we have it with our, the way we view church and not just about ourselves, where we see the purpose of life about becoming the best Christians we can be or being the biggest church that we can be. But it seems to me that Whenever God talks about his kingdom, he talks far more about multiplication than he does about growth. A quick little view on Google this last week would tell me that uh, from estimates a couple of years ago, there's roughly about 66,000 people in Paynton. You can, I'm sure, correct me with exact numbers that you've studied efficiently, but there's a lot of people here. Great Parks Chapel has a vision to see people saved and encouraged and discipled and equipped to serve Christ. Are you going to do that for 66,000 people? You might have the ambition. You might have the hope. You might have the longing. You might have the desire. But on your own, you're going to reach 66,000 people. You're going to find a way to tell them all about Jesus and, and meet their needs and love them and grow them and disciple them and mentor them and, and teach them. No. The vineyard is too big. Even if we just think about painting, we need more workers, don't we? And thankfully, another quick Google search will tell me that there's roughly, I've probably missed some, about 20 churches in painting. Side note, a couple of months ago, I met a guy who's leading a bit of a church plant in Oldway Primary School called Glow Torbay. Turns out, uh, he was a part of a basketball team at Churchton Ferris Grammar School that I used to go and play with when I was a youth worker here made me feel really old. That's a bit of a side point. Um, 
about 20 churches. Is that enough to reach 66,000 people? Let's say revival breaks out in Payton. And this weekend, there's just mass revival everywhere. This week, God's Spirit just floods on. And let's say 100 people in every church come to faith. All 20 churches, they each see 100 people saved and discipled and encouraged and equipped. We're still only talking 3% of Payton. And if we were to jump up to 10%, we'd need over 300 people in each of these churches to have a meaningful encounter with God and rescued from the place that they're in in life. We need more workers, don't we? Because there are whole swathes of this vineyard, whole huge parts of painting that are currently untouched, aren't there? Without workers, without anybody going into the fields, seeking to, to share that gospel and meet people's needs and, and be that ambassador of Christ. We need more workers. And as I've been praying for you, Great Parks, this last week or so, the word that I've really felt quite strongly on my heart from God for you is do not harden your hearts to the other workers God's going to have to bring in this vineyard. Because it needs more. And sometimes we can get so caught up in, well, this is the way we do things, and, and these are the way that we, people that we connect with, and we can get so caught up with thinking that, that the transformation of painting depends on Great Parks Chapel being the best that it can be. And although God wants you to be the best that it can be, it actually would be more true to say that the salvation and transformation of Great Parks Chapel, of uh, painting, I mean, is going to need more workers. Throughout the history of church, all two millennia of it, do you know what the most successful vehicle for evangelism has been? I'll give you a hint, it's not Alpha. It hasn't been around that long. Not Christianity Explored, as great as those things are and as, as much as God is using those things. I love the fact that you're trying to find a full-time evangelist, but that's not the greatest vehicle for evangelism either as far as church history is concerned. It's church planting. The starting of new churches over two millennia consistently has been the most successful form of evangelism. Do you know that in an area, the number of people who are engaging with God directly correlates not to the number of Christians, but to the number of churches? That means statistically that if an area has, let's say, 10 churches of 50 people each, they will be meeting extortionately more people with the gospel than one church of 500. You see, we have this goal to be bigger and better and larger and for more and more and more. But actually, it doesn't seem to be how God's kingdom operates. We need more workers to come from the marketplace in the vineyard. And it can get so easy to get caught in this place where we think it's, it's about us. It's all about us. It depends on us. When I think actually God's kingdom works a little bit different. And I just wonder, Great Parks, I wonder whether God might be calling you to take a bit of a lead in this town. To stand up and lead the way in saying, we want to replicate this master in this story. We want to be somebody promoting that same wage for all. I love how the master goes into the, into the marketplace at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. There's only an hour left of work, but he, he still has more vineyard that needs harvesting, so he's happy to get anyone he can. But he doesn't just walk in and go, you, 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 you come and work for me. He goes, why are you here? What's your story? What's, what's going on with you? 
And he stops and listens. Well, nobody, nobody's been willing to hire us so far. So already we're hearing that this master is about to hire people who are the outcasts. That everybody's looking down on them. Nobody thinks they're able to, to do anything, to accomplish anything, to work in their vineyards. Yet he gives them a chance. I wonder just how much this town would change if we took the time to listen to each other's stories. I mean, do we know the other churches in Painton and and what they're grieving about at the moment? Do we know where they're seeing God move? Do we know who they're reaching? Do we know who they're longing to reach? Do we know what they're wrestling with and struggling with, what they're celebrating? Do we know their stories? Because it seems to me that this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Not 20 places each going about their own individual business, hoping to be the biggest they can to somehow save painting. But a community of people striving for the same goal and partnering together, supporting and working alongside one another. And I think that starts with taking the time to hear their stories. Do you know their stories? Do you know their heart? What could it look like to pursue that. And then there's this master's generosity. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's otherworldly generosity, isn't it? Kingdom generosity. That, that somebody who's hired for an hour still gets paid for a whole day's work. It's incredible the amount of generosity that he shows. And I wonder, if we really are passionate about seeing painting saved, if we really are passionate about seeing this town transformed, Do we reflect that in our prayers? If actually it doesn't just depend on great parks being as great as it can be, but it depends on a whole vineyard full of workers. Do we pray for them? I wonder what it would look like to be so generous with our prayer life. That if we heard that another church in town was was having a special service on a Sunday morning, or maybe even just once every so often, instead of having a Sunday morning service, actually we're just going to stand here and pray. We're going to pray for all the other churches gathering this Sunday, right now as we meet, so that they can be blessed, so that they can encounter God, so that they can see revival and salvation. Do we sacrifice our time to support theirs through our prayers? Are we praying for those that are struggling? Through my Google searching this last week, I noticed that there was a a Baptist church in Fox Hall that's closed. I don't know when it closed. I don't know the story of it. But do we know these things? Because actually painting us worse off with that one less community of believers than it was before. Are we, are we praying? Are we finding a way to sacrifice our time and realize it's not just about us? We may well be God's favored people, but he needs more. There will be more. Are we embracing that? Or are we doing what Peter does and go, what then will there be for me? Where's my reward, God? Where's our blessing? I think that generosity extends not just to prayer, but to money and time. A few months ago, I got an email from uh, another uh, church leader in Yeovil, a a vicar of an Anglican church. And he sent me this email just basically saying, Matt, I I want you to know that we see you guys, that we see what you're doing, we see who you're reaching, and we want you to know that Yeovil needs you. And we need you to keep going because you're reaching people no one else is reaching and doing things no one else is doing. We need you to keep going. And we want you to know that we believe in you. And so we're taking up an offering this Lent for you just to try and encourage you and help you on your way. I cannot begin to express the way that those words changed me. 
I mean, it, what? It probably took 30 minutes in their leadership meeting to make that decision of conversation, five minutes to write the email, and a couple of hundred pounds. But those 35 minutes and a few hundred pounds were revolutionary. The, the way that it fed, the way that it nourished, the way that it encouraged me, the way that it helped me lift up my head and go, yes, there is a reason why we're here despite things being so hard. You see, it matters. And it can make a world of a difference coming from somebody else in your own town. Now, I know you're generous people. And Claire and I have felt the full force of that generosity many, many times and are, are very grateful for it. I just wonder, what if we turned that generosity to the other churches in this town? What if we sought to bless them and encourage them with our money and with our time? What if we looked for those who were struggling and hurting and we tried to do something to enable them to be another worker in our vineyards? Do not harden your hearts to the workers I'm going to have to call in from the marketplace. And the other thing that I really felt God saying, just to close, is do not harden your hearts to being a worker sent to a new part of my vineyard. You see, if we're serious about wanting to see paint and rescued, wanting to see this place transformed, it's going to take more than just us. I think we know that. I hope we do. I think you realize that this vineyard is too big for just those of us that are sat in this room today. We need growth. And that there are huge parts of this town that nobody is reaching, that nobody is sharing the gospel to, that nobody is building respect and relationship with, that nobody's seeking to be ambassadors of Christ's love. What would it look like if we started to send our workers to those spaces? Maybe to start something brand new, but maybe just to reach those people. What would it look like to realize that the only way painting's going to be rescued is not by great parks becoming the biggest and best that it can be, but by there being more great parks spread across this town? What would it look like to embrace that God's kingdom is a kingdom that values multiplication over growth every single time? And I know church planting sounds scary, and it is scary, and there's something about it that feels quite intimidating, but we need to remember that this is in our roots, friends. That this is what the church has been doing from the very beginning, multiplying and growing and spreading and seeing new groups of people embrace what it means to be a body of believers seeking to worship God. Our master will go into the marketplace. And he will be bringing more people to paint, and I believe that. He will be bringing more workers into this vineyard. How can we help them thrive? How can we help them succeed? How can we lead the way in this town in in modeling that we don't think it's all about us? We're going to resist that trap. We're going to resist that trap to think it's all about us. We're going to realize that actually in God's kingdom, it's having the mindset of Christ where we put others before ourselves where we prefer one another in love. Let me pray for you. Father, we firstly just 